Okay. <laughs> Let me say this. Let me say this. If I lost my wife, and uh, the next day a little bird landed on my windowsill, looked me right in the eye, and in plain English said, Sean, it's me, Anna, I'm back. Well, what could I say? I guess I'd believe her, or I'd want to. I'd be stuck with a bird. <laughs> but other than that, no. I'm a man of science. I just don't believe that mumbo jumbo. Now that's gonna have to be the last question. I need to go running before I head home. movies from Rotten Tomatoes, Purgatory of Bad Cinema, and reincarnates them into conversational darlings here on the podcast. If a movie can't clear the 60% fresh bar Rotten Tomatoes sets as their like freshness scale, they're a fair game for us to take a bubble bath with. I am Courtney Peranto. I forgot that I wrote that. Reincarnate them into conversational darlings. That's a nice nice way to put it. Conversational darlings. I don't think Yeah, because like it could still suck because like we've covered some where the thesis is like this does suck so they're worth talking about yeah i'm 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 max rue and this week we're celebrating mother's day last year we celebrated father's day with with knock knock and blame it on on rio yeah this year we're gonna celebrate mothers i think because last year we premiered around Mother's Day with Bamboozled. And we couldn't premiere with a Mother's Day episode. That would have been weird. I was also kind of pushing for that, and I will for next year, that Naomi Watts, Robin Wright movie that's basically serious Blame It on Rio, where I think they- um, Oh yeah, where they- I think they play like Sun Swat. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a porn, more. porn sub. No, a door. A more is- Yeah, no, wait, no, 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 different holiday. I wish adore, adore. I wish that was a Michael Haneke movie. No, we're 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 talking about um two very unconventional tales of mourning from the 2000s. We're going to be talking about Jonathan Glazer's 2004 follow-up to Sexy Beast, Birth, starring Nicole Kidman and a 10-year-old Cameron Bright, as well as Lauren Bacall. I know. Bacall, Lauren Bacall's in it and Haysh's in it. Uh, Peter Stormare as a normal person, which is weird. And um, and then yeah, I, and then after that, we're gonna we're gonna break the seal on the work of of Lars von Trier. I mean, there's only three of them we can do, but this is the first one. We're gonna be talking about. Antichrist. I also think that you're right. There's only three that we can do, but I kind of think that as he keeps creating more movies, they'll get more and more rotten. So I think that it's he's possible. someone that will end his career on the fence of rotten and fresh. But yeah, and if you haven't already noticed, it's just Max and I today. We were going to have a guest, but change of plans. But maybe it's kind of good because these ones are kind of squicky, especially. They're squicky? Well, I guess they're both, they're both like uncomfortable with like a capital U. Like I don't. Okay, because I had a friend here last weekend and she is my best friend. And typically when Eric is here or when we're together and you and I are doing the podcast, we'll watch one one or two of the movies together. But this week, I mean, it was also her birthday week. I don't, there was never a good time for us to like party and watch Antichrist or Birth. You know, yeah, they're like, not really group. group they're not movies. hangout movies. Um, I mean, Antichrist could be 
Whoa, what? I think that I, I would the rather watch is a drinking game. <laughs> I would rather watch Antichrist with a group of people than birth, I think. Because birth kind of needs like more of like your attention and more like it's like very still. In birth, I hadn't seen all the way through, I think, since it came out. Actually, I, I haven't revisited it. it. Yeah, me too. And I was really excited too. But I would absolutely rather watch it with like, yeah, maybe not a huge group of people, but it was it was the one that I was like wondering if Erica would want to watch. Because I think that it's really fucking good and that she would like it. But again, like as a vibe hang, it just didn't feel no, like I mean, Birth right is also time. pretty short too. It's like 95 minutes. And then Antichrist is like, I think a little bit longer, but it's really, um, I, I don't know why I was dreading watching it. I mean, I know why I was dreading watching Antichrist, but I was just like, I really just couldn't, I don't know, like after a week of moving and like starting work again, I was like, I don't watch Antichrist right now. <laughs> That's true. It was like how different you and me are just like in the way that we operate throughout the world. Cause I felt the same way. And then I, so I did it really quickly and then, um, got to like really savor birth. Yeah, I, I put it off. I um, I really put off Antichrist until literally yesterday before. I, I know went I was getting work. some fun texts. <laughs> um, I yeah, I mean, I forgot about certain parts of it. Um, yeah. and then I remembered most of it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, birth was one that we you know we kind of mentioned last week. We were we were very excited to talk about birth. I think it was like, it was bamboozled birth in the cut. And there was a couple others that we I think were there's like, some rom-coms on my part that are high yeah. up on the, why is this well, rotten? Well, I think more like, cause those are the movies that were more like prestige that like yeah. should have done better with critics. It, birth and in the cut are both like pretty, you know, shockingly low. And I, and I feel like it was weird, like watching birth. And I think it's also probably a product of like it coming out, you know, like a year after in the cut and like mm -hmm. the Nicole Kidman, Meg Ryan crossover there, how Nicole Kidman was supposed oh, to be in, yeah. in the cut. But I was like, oh, this would be an interesting double feature. It would be. I feel like they both kind of had like a similar feeling to them. And it made me miss like the early 2000s. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then I always forget, because I know we talked about it before, you haven't seen Margaret, right? The Kenneth Lonergan movie? I haven't. I It's always one that I want to see, and I know that it's upsetting, so then I, I haven't seen it. It's not that upsetting. It okay. has like a one upsetting scene, but it's also just really long. I think that was another one, too, when I was watching, when I was rewatching Birth. I was like, oh, Birth and Margaret would be like a pretty crazy double feature, because they're both just like literally operatic, very melodramatic, like mm -hmm. just big capital D dramas from that era. Um, and they both feature long shots holding on an actress sitting in the opera, um, yeah. <laughs> just feeling a whole lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Should we start with birth? We have to. We have to. <laughs> we have, we literally have no choice but to start with birth. You know that I loved Sean, you know, so much. It's taken me this long and I can't get him out of my system. I can't. Too many memories. I understand that this is going to sound crazy. I've met somebody who uh, who seems to be Sean. Am I to understand that that 10-year-old boy told you he was your late husband, Sean? He said, it's me, Sean. What am I supposed to think? <laughs> He's back. What do you want? You'll be making a big mistake if you marry Joseph. From now on, we're gonna tell the truth. What do you wanna know? How did Sean meet Anna? We met at the beach. We got married 30 times in 30 days. How do you know what you know? I'm Sean. You can't go around saying you're somebody, huh? What are you doing? I'm looking at my wife. 
This is insane. I mean, I don't want to fall in love again with Sean. And that's what's happening. You can think whatever you want. Everybody can think what they want. I'm who I say I am. Stay away, stay away. You ask Anna who she loves more, me or Joseph. Go ahead. Go ask her. Birth. 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 Ta-da. Yes. Starting a post-marriage to Tom Cruise, but pre- period to Botox. Uh, wow. I, um, that's how I think of Nicole Kidman's like career trajectory. Uh, like she has several periods or like little pockets in her career. Mm-hmm. And there's like the marriage to Tom Cruise period, the post marriage to Tom Cruise period, where there's that famous photo of her coming out, like getting divorced, her divorce papers all finalized. Right. And then this like a little sweet spot where birth lives. And then almost immediately after she starts really going hard on the Botox, which I think is a-okay to talk about because she talks about it now as like, that was sort of a mistake. And that involves like Stepford-wise, Bewitched, right. um, even I mean, she, look, she She looks great though. She looks great in here. She looks incredible. I mean, she's also, I mean, she's like 37 in this movie. Yeah, she looks great. That was like the whole thing when Big Little Lies came out. Everybody was like, wow, Nicole Kidman looks great. And she is great. And I think it's like, she's like one of those actresses that everybody, you know, I think for a while, like took advantage of like how great she was. And then everybody yep. remembered like, oh yeah, Nicole Kidman's like, one of the best actresses but she really is and especially here in birth she's incredible but yeah this is this is right after the marriage to tom cruise <laughs> or at least a couple of years after and nicole kidman stars as anna a widowed new yorker on the precipice of remarriage after 10 years of mourning her husband sean during one of her many fancy manhattan parties that the couple uh attend over the course of the film <laughs> anna and her fiance played by danny houston just <laughs> Uh, the embodiment of a um, just fucking smug, awful rich person. Yeah. Um, he's just born to play awful uh, rich people. That is that is his role in life. But they are confronted by a 10-year-old child who claims to be Anna's late husband incarnate, Sean. Along with sharing uh, the same first name as her dead husband, Sean also possesses knowledge of the couple's former life together, as well as an eerily adult persona. Anna initially rebuffs Sean's claims, but as she draws closer to the date of her remarriage, she begins to inch nearer and nearer to believing Sean's outrageous, outrageous claims. Yeah. And that, it's just like such a good premise, first of all. Um, but birth boasts a miserable 38% over on Rotten Tomatoes with only a slightly higher audience score of 43 fucking percent. I thought it was going to be... It's low. I thought it was going to be... This feels... Well, first of all, this just feels like a great movie. Right. <laughs> this feels like it should be part of like the 59% club. Like it, it it should be on the precipice of just like breaking through because of like retrospective, like retrospective reviews or enough like audience scores that it should have like a 75% audience score despite the No, love. I mean, I, I feel like this, if anything, would be one that would just have better critical reviews and then like an abysmal audience score. I know. I don't fucking get it. I, I think this movie, I mean, you know, listen to to really jump ahead. I do think that this movie would fare better today because yes. I think if it came out today, like there's no way that this movie, this movie costs 20 million to make, which is crazy. Like there's yeah. no way this movie is getting a $20 million budget. But I think that if it came out today, it would be an A24 movie and it would be marketed like an art house horror, horror movie. movie. Yeah. Because I think it kind of like steps into that territory. Well, both the movies today do. I mean, but- her haircut is definitely like a callback to like Rosemary's Baby or something like that. And it's like yeah. an apartment horror. I'm going to just come out and it's say- It's not I, even a horror Yeah, I, I, I don't think this haircut looks good on her 
Oh, I want to say that, that I <laughs> have always really envied a woman that it has, well, I, I, I'm a Korean. Korean people are like very um, obsessed with having small faces and think we have big faces. And so when a woman can possess this haircut and like kind of look like a Peter Pan type, I am very jealous. She Ooh, does look like Tinkerbell. Yeah. Yeah. She looks, she looks a little Tinkerbelly. I think it makes her look like a kid like a little boy too and i wonder if that was the intent i think that must sort of be i don't know the purpose of it also the backstory that i gave her is that she cut her hair after her husband um died yeah well i guess part of it was that jonathan glazer the director did not want to initially cast her like she expressed interest in the role and i guess that he thought that she was too like famous for the part at the time he was mm-hmm. like i just don't want her celebrity which i feel like you hear a lot with like directors like that where they're like i don't want the celebrity to you know overshadow the part or whatever so he didn't want to cast her and then i guess once he did they were like okay well we need to like really change your image and uh, so like he was like we're gonna chop all of your hair off and we're gonna put you in really kind of like plain clothes and um you know try to dress you down as much as possible to make it um, kind except of that like, gold dinner dress she wears well yeah of course yeah. well i mean like they're super fucking wealthy super to the point yeah. that yeah um but i think yeah i think the idea is like to make her kind of like disappear into the atmosphere a little bit more but i mean i i don't know i think because like i think that that part actually does kind of call for in a weird way um someone like a nicole kidman who has that kind of presence i think it works better that way me too i was like that's weird to hear because to me the movie kind of needs her i know that when i wrote the synopsis about it's like her post tom cruise marriage like i do think that like bringing that diegesis to this is like also kind of important like the way that i think that you it's impossible to watch eyes wide shut and not know that they are married at that time in her life like i also think that like after she's like come out of this probably like incredibly limiting marriage, let's say, like, I don't think like she doesn't talk about it really ever, but you know, she doesn't have contact with a kid that she adopted with Tom Cruise anymore. Like it's, it seems like an incredibly like traumatic period in her life personally, then to like come out of that and into, I think like a career that is bigger than the one that she had when she was married with to him with something like this is also like, important to bring that like I I like watching this movie as a Nicole Kidman movie I mean like yeah I'm I'm a fan of hers but I'm not I don't consider myself a fan of hers in the same way I kind of consider myself a Reese Witherspoon fan where I'm like I like you I want to be like when I watch her perform I'm like oh I I see a lot of myself in you like in no way do I ever relate to a Nicole Kidman character it's more like I just have to admit that she's fucking fantastic I'm I'm totally guilty of being one of those people that that forgot how great she was until she started kind of doing her own little, you know, not that she ever went away, but like, you know, a kind of career revamp in the uh, early 2010s with, you know, like starting with like the paper boy and then uh, like starting to do like weird shit again. And then like doing like the killing of a sacred deer and the beguiled and, and, you know, the destroyer so and, and, and big little lies oh, yeah. and, you know, coming back and just proving how, you know, how great she is, obviously. What year's uh, rabbit hole? 2010 2010 okay. I believe yeah I, I like that movie I think more than a lot of people but I've never yeah. seen it oh um, I think it's I've read good. the play and I'm sure she's great in it given the material yeah. I mean she was nominated for that so this is yeah and this is birth is coming off like her first win for the hours oh yeah I've also never seen never seen it's the hour. fine yeah 
Yeah. And then this is after <laughs> Moulin Rouge too. Yeah, she was nominated for Moulin Rouge. And then she's kind of doing, you know, and then like she also just worked with Lars von Trier on Dogville. I really like her in Dogville. <laughs> I've never seen Dogville either. Really? I, no, no, I haven't oh. seen that one. It's long. Shocking. I know. Um, but yeah, and then she does birth, and this is the same year as the Stepford Wives remake. Um well, that's incredible. Because I mean, but it's funny because she's always done, you know, there are some actors that have kind of, um, you know, like we talked about like McConaughey's or like Gyllenhaal's that had periods where they were just doing like bigger movies Mm -hmm. and kind of like she's always done both. She's yeah. I mean, even before her, like her newer comeback, I feel like she's always done interesting stuff. Like she's always had like, even if it's like something like super small, like she did, like she'll do like this or like a dogville. And then like she follows it up with like Bewitched. But then like she does that movie Fur where she plays Diane Arbus which nobody oh, saw. Fuck, I never um, saw that. Never saw it. And then she has Margot at the Wedding, Australia, mm-hmm. Rabbit Hole. And then she pops up in an Adam Sandler movie. Just go with it. I've um, heard that. It's made me want to watch it because, yeah. Yeah, and it's just Stoker. Like, she, you know, it's like, so she's Oh, always, Stoker is so fucking good. Yeah, she's, she's always doing interesting stuff, I feel like. Do you know who was, this was really weird. I don't know if I you know I accidentally saw did who stumble was on supposed this. to play this part. Christina um, Applegate? Yeah, which makes no sense to me. And I'm not digging on Christina Applegate in any no, way. I, I think that she's an actress that you and I both really like, but I just don't see that because I think there's like a world. stoicism yeah. that Nicole Kidman brings to every role that this character almost needs because she needs to really be unreadable for the first two, yeah. one third to two thirds of the movie because the premise is so, I mean, the premise is really sticky and fun, but the movie plays it pretty straight. You know, because this could be a a horror, just like a straight horror movie. And it's not, I would call it like, I don't even know what the fuck it is. It's like kind of suspenseful, though, like nothing really bad happens. You know what I mean? There's a body count of zero unless you count the widowed, like the husband. (laughs) I think that's Um, kind of what would put the movie in a weird position is that like, like watching it this time, I was like, this feels like something. And obviously this is not the history of the script because it was, you know, conceived by Jonathan Glazer and his writing and the two other writers that he worked with, one of whom is like a, you know, very European. Recently. um, deceased yeah and so like it makes sense that like it has that european you know perspective on it too because it feels like a european art house movie a lot of the time especially from like the 2000s but watching it this time i was like this i feel like this like before i knew that i was like was this like developed as like a studio movie like in the vein of like ghost or like michael <laughs> that weird john travolta movie where he's oh i remember michael you don't have yeah to. I, just for our listeners i don't know how many people <laughs> okay okay michael. okay because <laughs> my mom was a big michael. fan of phenomena i so saw phenomenon in theaters <laughs> so i was like oh maybe birth was like conceived as like a studio project yeah, okay. to be like kind of like you know because it could easily like watching it this time too it's played so sincerely too that i was like you could easily like cut a trailer for this where it's like a wacky rom-com because mm-hmm. there's just like you know the parts where she's like oh he's you know this 10 year old boy says he's my husband and they start laughing and like that could easily have like a cheesy you know kind of score over it so there's so many parts of this that i feel like could easily become like yeah like almost like a like this could have been like a robert zemeckis movie this could have been you know in the vein of ghosts like more of like a love story a return um, to me <clears throat> exactly or it could yeah. have just been a straight up horror movie it could have been it could have played up into it could have played to so many different genres but it is so specifically its own thing and it's so fucking it's played like you said like it's played so straight that it opens itself up to being mocked which i listen i think is kind of admirable like i think that's one of the things that's really admirable about the movie is that it's like how many people would play this that straight you know especially today you think about like how much irony is infused in something like this 
And I also think that like, not to pivot too quickly to Antichrist, because I want to mostly talk about birth today because I like it much more. (laughs) Is it like, I also love birth because I don't really think that it's like a puzzle or um, an allegory for anything. Like I I don't view it as like an, an enlarged metaphor. It really does feel like it is an experiment of like what these characters would react like if this happened to them more than it is like a big bite of like what the director or writers think about like life or the afterlife or reincarnation in general. And I forgot from the, from the first time I watched it because, because like the premise itself and like once you're immersed in it is just so like immersive, like that it opens with like that cold opening of you hear the voice of the soon to be dead husband talking, like lecturing, talking about, if he believes in the afterlife and he doesn't, and then we watch him like have probably like a heart attack under a bridge. And then it jumps Mm -hmm. to much, much, much later, like 10 years later, I forgot that it opens that way. And like the music is also kind of like jovial and cheerful. Like this score I really like because again, it doesn't feel like it's trying to telegraph the audiences. It's an incredible score. It's Alexander Despot. Who's like, one of the biggest composers we have today. And I think at the okay. time maybe was like on the like on the rise. I've always really remembered the score of this movie. I really, really love the score for this. Like I think it's probably one of my favorite scores ever. It's amazing. It's, it's a yeah. really, really fucking good score. And it's very weird. Cause yeah, because because it's almost as if the score is like what the characters themselves are feeling on the inside, even though they're not hearing it. Cause it is like, it's really playful at times. Yeah. At like, and when, I mean, super spoiler alert, like uh, Anna does start to believe that this kid is her dead ex. The score feels like not totally like a rom-com. It's not like super, it, it you know, it's like, it's not mocking in the way that I think like Danny Elfman can sound, but it is like kind of like playful and fun. Yeah. But it's also like very big. It's very Mm -hmm. dramatic and it's very like operatic. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that I've always been like kind of a sucker for. And I think that even when I saw this movie the first time when I was 16 and like I saw it in theaters and like, I just remember being really struck by how I'm definitely drawn to movies, especially that like seem more epic or operatic than they need to be like there's yeah, just something okay. grander about like the feeling of the movie and i really and you feel that through the score and some of like the way that jonathan glazer directs it but like i think that was the thing that i really really responded to it was just like that it really took it so seriously and it portrayed it to be this kind of like grand story at times and i think that a lot of people that don't like the movie have argued that it like kind of betrays the tone that it sets up in some regard or that it kind of strays a little bit too much from it or it like kind of meanders a little bit in the middle. And like, listen, I think there are parts like watching it now in the middle where I was like, okay, it's a little redundant at times. Like it's a little bit of like the same scene played in a Mm -hmm. different way at times. Cause I'm also, it, it also does feel like the setup of like a short story that maybe got like elongated in some way. Like how much, you know, can you really get out of this? Because he plays it pretty like, insularly like he doesn't really he's not really interested in like what happens if like she starts dating a ten-year-old boy right he he luckily avoids a lot of landmines but yeah exactly i was gonna say i think (laughs) you could do a lot with the material but not without stumbling into some even ickier because i know that i do remember like reading in a people magazine when this movie was like about to come out and people being like extremely pissed at the bathtub scene which has sort of like or at the time i think like eclipsed like the movie itself yeah and 
it feels to me like that scene was like incredibly like responsibly shot and it also was. isn't he said exploitative that they, at, at, like yeah. i don't think it's asking its audience to be turned on where there are some scenes in the jeremy irons adrian lynn remake of lolita that i think really want its audience to like get turned on when that is a more explicit tale about sexual abuse and i think that it's so odd to see how much flack this movie got and how much tales about like young women get i mean yes yeah, sure right. they're older than 10 but like still they're not of consenting age even like 14 15 16 because right. i don't like we're we're more comfortable watching a movie like the professional which is a movie i like yeah really, really like <laughs> film natalie portman like a like a sex object than like the scene here where there it's like a scene of intimate implied intimacy but like nothing yeah. happens or it's not sexual in any way i think it's done as tastefully as it can possibly be done and i like i never found that i mean like at the time also i was 16 like so i didn't i i never found it to be like weird Same. i didn't think i never saw it as like being like a romantic thing in that regard but like even watching it now and then like reading about how they shot the scene like he came out like very defensively of that scene he was like listen like we shot this like he was like they were literally in the bathtub at the same time once for one wide shot and they're both wearing protective gear so that you right. can't actually see anything uh, but otherwise he said like all their coverage was shot like individually like no one was ever like in the bathtub at the same time like otherwise like during the dialogue scenes and things like that but I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's also just like, I think that's also like the European kind of like style that's kind of like a part of the movie where, yeah, like um, Americans are really obviously going to be sensitive to something like that. And to, I, and I think the immediate response to something like that is like, oh, this is child pornography. It's going to be yeah. something extreme. It's going to be, there's always going to be an extreme reaction to something like that. And God, I can't even fucking imagine the reaction to that movie coming out right now. I don't know. Like, I, I I think it's a big question mark because I do feel like showing your work and being able to show that like you were, you filmed like incredibly, because like, again, like, I don't think I would think it would be one thing if that scene was like, had like a sexual charge to it, but like, I don't feel right. like it does. It no. is just like a literal undressing of two characters. Yeah. No, I mean, Nicole Kidman even talked about the scene, you know, where they where she has to kiss him and she said you know like that was never played like she's like no one it was no one on set nobody acting in the scene nobody was looking at that as being like you know romantic in any regard it, it sucks because like the movie obviously doesn't do well when it comes out and it's overshadowed by controversy that's like so temporary it's like literally mm -hmm. just like a movie coming out with Nicole Kidman that happens to be you know about a 10 year old boy who is saying that he's her ex-husband so it's like you already have this really insane plot that people are going to have a hard time taking seriously and then it gets overshadowed by like this kind of like bullshit controversy that's like not even fucking real and then the movie just disappears because i remember when i saw this movie it was when i used to go to the theater and i would see like two movies i would pay for one movie yeah. and just like go to another one i saw i was this. in the same yeah basket at, yeah we were like yeah, yeah. lovely um, high school student actually i think i was a freshman in college you you probably were this came out a few days before halloween which i don't know that also kind of Ooh. plays into like are they trying to release this movie as a horror movie because it wasn't marketed as one but like the poster and some of the imagery might suggest that uh, yeah. but i remember because i saw it as a double feature with saw i saw this in oh. saw at the same time that is so cool <laughs> and um but yeah, I just, you know, you're I, probably not the only person who made that decision that I know, day. And I would true. love Birth to hear from which one did you like them both? I I remember when I saw Saw, I did not think it even at 16, I was like, I don't think this is very good. And then I remember like, I think that, the first one's 
it's fine. Yeah, fine. we'll cover it at some point, I'm sure. You know, maybe um, when the new one comes out, Spiral, Do you think Chris so? Rock. Yeah, <laughs> it comes out next like two weeks. I know. From now. I know. Um, that's very weird that that movie is a thing that Chris Rock was passionate. I know, about. but whatever. I just remember being really. I don't know. I thought this movie was really fucking interesting when I saw it when it came out, and then like. And then I talked about it briefly last week, you know, like right after I saw it, I got a job at that same theater. That was my first job. And yeah, the people walking out of that movie, I mean, we did a lot of refunds. I know that, especially because a lot of the people that went to go see this movie were like older people and they were very confused. It also How doesn't old was really... Jonathan Glazer when he made this movie? Jonathan? Because, because like I, because like I think of him as, because he was one of like the music video, like I think yes. he directed the yeah. police video as being like the young cool guy. And also his movie before this was like such a surprise hit. Yeah. So he was 38 when he made this. Yeah. He's writing Sexy Beast, which was like kind of like a hit for, it was like an indie hit. Ben Kingsley yeah, got his Oscar nomination. I just rewatched it recently. It's fucking great when you can understand what they're saying. It's, and it's, it's a also lot of very brief movie. It's super short um, and it has like some great fucking colors and style to it, um, which is interesting when you see birth because it's so desaturated. And then he doesn't make another movie again for 10 years until he makes Under the Skin. And A movie that I kind of have the opposite relationship to, like it has such a high critical score where I'm like, it's pretty. Like I, I like the movie. I like I, I didn't I like, like under the skin so when much I much more. Yeah, you know, I I didn't like under the skin when I first saw it that much. Like I like admired parts of it, but I didn't like it. And then I, when I watched yeah. it again, like a year later, I really liked it. So okay. I think I think his movies just kind of have like, especially something like Under the Skin and Birth. I think have you know they can they can grow on repeat viewings. I think, and but I know there's a lot of people that also don't like Under the Skin um, that have revisited it. So and in some ways, I guess maybe it's overpraised because it was like on every you know best of the decade list. But yeah, I mean like Jonathan Glazer, you know, and especially in that like mid '90s period, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, um, Chris Cunningham was yeah, Chris Cunningham, and Jonathan Glazer did a lot of really fucking cool videos. He did the uncle video, right? Yeah. So he did the really fucking rad video for Rabbit in Your Headlights. Um, it's an uncle okay. with Tom York song. Yeah. It's, you've probably seen the video. It's the guy, yeah. it's, it's Denny Levant, and he's walking down the tunnel and he keeps getting hit by cars. Yes, I yeah. have completely forgot about it in just a second, but I'm going to listen to that song right after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but it's a fucking great video. I think that like my thing with Under the Skin is like, I'm not, and I'll- it'll come through even more when we discuss the next movie. I like a movie with a plot, like, and, and like, and, and not like a loose amorphous plot, like a plot. And this mm. movie is like, it has such a tight plot. And so does Sexy Beast actually, that then by the time he gets to Under the Skin, where I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, pretty. I mean, I think Under the Skin, I, I think it's got, you know, a lot going on upon like rewatching it, but I also totally understand somebody that wouldn't you know dig the movie and you know same with birth like birth is a movie that like i defend but like i understand why somebody wouldn't be into it i understand if somebody was like this just isn't for me i think with critics it was like it was a little different because it was like based on the things that a lot of critics were praising yeah um, and i think just like because but i also think it was like i don't know because of the utter like sincerity and like straight face that the movies made with it, I think that really did open it up to so much like it just made it vulnerable to be attacked because it is so earnest and like, yeah, this is a movie about a 10 year old boy and he comes back and he says he's her husband and there's no clear answers. You think this is a game? You think this is funny? No. What if Bob comes to my house and tests me? 
How do you know Bob? He was my brother-in-law. If he asks me some questions and I get them right, will you believe me? Will you believe me? Who told me there wasn't a Santa Claus? I'll know them when I see them. You're just a little boy. Up at the very top of the movie, we see Anne Heche bury something. And right. Right. I mean, like it's a pretty big tip off too. But I think that the, the movie, again, doesn't want to tell its audience exactly what to think. That like, even though you know that there's probably like a, in quotation marks, like logical explanation to like some of the shit that this kid is saying, you're right. also you need to have enough empathy with Anna to sort of understand when she starts to get like visibly excited. Like she gets that, like, what do people call it? Like that that new relationship glow shit. Like she starts to get like stoked. You were saying that like, you know, the movie's not, you don't really think of it as being like an allegory or like a grand metaphor. And like, I think that it, it can be if you decide to look at it that way. But I think that's another thing that works about the movie is that I think that it's directed in a way that is open to interpretation, but not like in an obnoxious way. Like I think that he very clearly, it's, it's a movie that when I watch it, like it feels like it meant something very specifically to each writer and the director. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the great thing about it. And you know, it's, and that's what another reason that I think that it would be like positioned now as like an A24 art house horror movies, because like every goddamn fucking horror movie that we get today, they're like, it's actually really about grief. I know. And like, you know, when you watch this, like it very much is like it, it, it feels obnoxious just to even have to say that now it feels like it's like that's like the new like oh it's kind of lynchian is to be like you know it's actually about grief birth is about grief like it literally is about grief it's about how this woman fails to move on from something and i think that's the whole thing is that like you don't even really get you never see the husband you never get any like flashbacks of them together so you have to kind of build whatever their marriage was and whatever it meant to her up, you know, in your head. And also just the movie relies on her performance to kind of show you the meaning of what that relationship meant to her. And, you know, it seems like it's a younger marriage if it was 10 years ago. So she's like in her twenties, she marries this guy who's really successful. She comes from wealth. It also seems like they have sort of like a woo woo because wasn't there a line where the, where Sean V 2.0, the camera bright characters like we got married 30 times like yeah. it seems like they really celebrated their wedding in sort of a woo woo young person way like, and then the, and the, this dude that she's with now clearly fucking sucks and she just like doesn't want to be alone anymore right. i mean actually like his performance is fucking awesome because there is one incredible scene where he just like wants to beat the fuck out of this 10 year old yeah i was just gonna say like just with their relationship you get the sense that yeah like they were super young obviously it ends so abruptly that she's just left with whatever, you know, excitement she still felt from that. But at the same time, you also wonder like what could have gone wrong in the marriage or what, you know, sent him into, spoiler alert, it sent him to cheat on her with Deanne Hayes' character, his sister-in-law. Everything is presented so ambiguously that I do think you could make the argument that the movie does. I know some people said that the ending is kind of a cop out. Or that I love it, the ending. No, I like because... the ending a lot too. But I think that like it does kind of it's it's the kind of movie that does automatically just by by the very nature of like I think what it is about and how it's going about it. It's going to paint itself into a corner at some point. It's going to disappoint people no matter what. Yeah, it's like, like such an incredible premise. Yeah. Yeah, it's like because if it goes down one route, it's going to be considered you know kind of like tasteless and 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 gross and if it goes on another like, route it becomes like science fiction or it becomes mm-hmm. like a little bit too hokey i don't know like i i, I like 
the road that they went down personally. Me but. too, because it's also, I think it's like sad that she just still gets married to this fuck face. Yeah. And then I like that it's like like juxtaposed with like her wedding photos and his school photos. Like, I think it's like pretty funny too. Like, right. I think it's like a pretty funny ending for as like terse as the movie is. I thought yeah. it was like the, the best way to end that story. I don't know. Well, Danny, yeah. so, so Danny Houston, he's an actor I've always like, what else is he in? He seems like a guy that you could list nine movies that he's in. And I'm like, he's that he's, guy. He's the, he's, he's like the kind of like not villain, but he's set up to be the villain in the first Wonder Woman. He's in Children oh, of really? Men. He's been in a lot. He's in the proposition. So yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Danny Houston's a guy that like, I think he's a good actor. He's so naturally unlikable. And I yeah. think that's part of like why he's cat. Well, I don't know though, because here's, I think that he's actually my biggest issue with the movie and he's the one thing that I would really replace as I would cast that role differently. And the only reason I would is because like on one hand, Danny Houston does, like I said, represent like, I think he does a good job though. He is the human embodiment of, of, of like just fucking excess wealth. And just like a guy who seems like he is probably secretly has a lot of skeletons in his closet. Yeah. Like just one of those rich guys where you're like, Oh, you've done something horrible. Like you have for sure done a hit and run and gotten away with it. Right. <laughs> like he just seems like a massive piece of shit. He's, extremely arrogant and he has a face that yeah is very punchable and i think that Sweaty that's the problem is that yeah like he's really good here but i think that if you cast an actor that was just a little more naturally likable yeah that i think that you would feel for that guy more because that's a fucked up position to be put in where you're if it was like john turturro or something like someone that's john like Tur well john turturro would be incredible but i think it's I'm almost trying to like think of someone who's like low-key <laughs> hot you know like that you could all because also there's like the she's rich like does she need to hitch her wagon to this guy, you know? That's what I think is that you never get really an idea of why she would want to even marry him to begin with outside of I just like- I think you do at the top of the film when, because it opens with like the voiceover of her husband running and then him lecturing and then it cuts to like 10 years later and he's dead. And it seems like upon accepting- her it, it like um an engagement she or a marriage proposal whatever she has to go to her dead husband's grave and almost like tell him and then right. it flashes to their engagement party where everyone is wearing black so it's just like kind of imp like intentionally dizzying and confusing as you're like am i at the funeral am i right, at right. a wedding like where am i the fiance's character says like I asked her out like a hundred times <laughs> yeah. and she, and she said no. Said yes. and she finally said no, he's yes. He's a guy I proposed to her five years ago or whatever. And then I proposed yeah. to her again. And then he's like, this week we have a yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think dude. that that does a lot of work actually. <laughs> like if, if there wasn't that tiny scene up at the beginning, I think it would be more of like a, what the fuck. And then also sure. it seems like he doesn't understand why she's with him either. And that's why he's so reactive to this 10 year old, <laughs> like you know trying to cut him. In this i just re he reminds me of billy zane and titanic oh yeah yeah they're yeah, totally yeah. like the same fucking guy um except billy zane can get it <laughs> but like they both just have this like contemptuous like expression on their face all the time that like comes from their like wealth but danny houston in this there's so many shots where I just burst out laughing because there's like yeah. this amazing, it's this beautiful shot. It's pushing in on him in the window, just looking at the window because his wife has not come home because she's out at the park with this 10 year old boy who's saying he's her husband, her dead husband. <laughs> and Danny Houston is just staring at the window. Like I'm getting cucked by a 10 year old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like steam could be coming out of his ears. It's fucking tight. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I see what you're saying, but I also really liked him in it. And I do think that that scene up at the beginning, like does a lot of work. And then I also think it makes it like that much, 
more uh, like pathetic and sad when like they just still go through with the wedding. I just wanted somebody who could at least convey a little bit more of like charisma. Yeah. Or humanity, like not even maybe humanity, because I think the whole thing that this movie also does really well is just show you just, which I, there was another movie we talked about recently. There's just about how miserable a certain type of wealthy mm-hmm. person is. And this really gets it. It's like very much has this old money, old New York. Like succession shit. Yeah. And I think yeah. Lauren, the casting of Lauren Bacall was really. Yeah, Lauren Bacall also just embodies just like wealth. When you see her also, face. Like, what a cool <laughs> career that woman had. Like yeah. she stayed in interesting movies. I feel like for her entire career and she started so young so yeah and she's great her. she's the great casting is interesting because even the, the most interesting bit of casting to me is peter Stormare. no i was oh. gonna say peter Stormare because peter Stormare, especially at this time he's known as like the one of the villains in fargo he plays a lot of he's in like michael bay movies he gets cast a lot as just like a sleazy russian villain and just to see him here as like a normal just human yeah. being i was like oh he's, he's really good he's very yeah. good i think like having it's aged like 50 over 15 years i think what feels weirder now is Anne Heche because she doesn't have kids because she was so well known for right. a little bit of time and then right. has like fallen off almost completely i think now she's kind of working again that it, her presence felt a little odd to me in the same way like when we covered psycho i think that sometimes we could slight her you, a little bit. I don't think she's bad here. I just think that. No, I think she's good. I think she's just very much of her time. She's yeah, very much she like when you think odd. of Anne Hayes, you're just like, oh, that's like a, she's just like a 90s actress. Or that's how I think of her. I mean, and then Cameron Bright. What a weird looking little kid. Yeah. It's like, it's super, so super well you, cast. You watch it because you're like, oh, this poor kid's going to grow up to look so weird. Um, Like every child. He actor. does, doesn't he? He basically not as bad as some, but yeah, he's no yeah. kid from Jerry Maguire, but no, he's not Jonathan Libnicki, but he and he's not <laughs> what's his fucking name? I see dead people, but well, I think that's the thing is that like I think because this is like five years after the Sixth Sense, and I think that like the a post Sixth Sense world of mm. casting child actors is very much like when are we going to get the next Haley Joel Osment? And so everybody has to have this kind of he's it's not disaffected, but there's something about his delivery that's very like vacant, which yeah. I guess on one end it kind of needs to be. And he does look like a kid who just like witnessed something horrible yeah. and um, is scarred from it. The, I mean, Haley Joel Osment, when you go back and you like look at his performances, like in the sixth sense, or like, I just watched AI artificial intelligence last year for the first time. And he's like fucking incredible. He's, good. he's really good. It's in more a way lived that's... in. Like the character in here, you're right. is like almost intentionally hollowed. Yeah. Because once you find out what he's doing, because so, like spoiler like he finds these letters and so that's how he has like access to some like very intimate secrets or right details of the couple's past relationship you never really know why he's doing it like because now i watch the movie and i'm like this kid is still like an incredibly fucked up person because like before i watched the movie and i was like oh this little piece of shit pulled the wool over this nice lady's eyes and now i'm like this woman who was probably already teetering between mental illness and mourning and nah like this is the thing that pushed her over and this kid is like, I I think that the kid doesn't think that he's tricking her. Like, I think that Sean thinks that he could be this person. Well, that's the whole thing is that, yeah, like you don't, because the movie doesn't really give you a clear answer and it kind of ends on a note of like this kid being like, I go to therapy now because there's probably something really wrong with me. Mm -hmm. But I think the whole thing is like, there isn't really an answer to it. And I, Mm -mm. I don't think that's a good or a bad thing necessarily. I don't think this movie has to have a clear answer, but like, cause to me watching it, I'm like, okay, is this something where the idea is that he's been reincarnated through this child? 
And the idea is that if we're living in a world where reincarnation is real, and if you believe in that, and then we're all reincarnated from something prior. So then for him, he's reincarnated from this guy, Sean, who's her husband. And then he reaches a certain age. It's like he reaches 10 years of age. And all of a sudden, is this somebody who just out of everybody, he is like somebody who developed consciousness of his past life. There's that great line that he says to his mom when he says, I'm not your stupid son anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking tight. <laughs> because I think that that kid like deeply believes that he is this person in these letters and right. still sort of believes it when he, and like also there's corresponding still. And then I think it gets into like, cause a big news event that happened like maybe 10 years before this is like the, the Mary Kay Letourneau case where she was just like straight up, Fucking right. her student. And that, that was something that I kept seeing pop up in reviews. And I, yeah, totally people are forgot fucking about that stupid. Case. Like, immediately they were like, Yeah, this is the teacher who's fucking her student. Um, no, and I it's didn't not. realize, yeah, that woman in that guy and that's her student, they were like married until she died. And they have kids together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that they separated for a while. I know all about their saga because I, I think that they're maybe from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. But more so, like, my, both of my parents are school teachers. So right. it was, like, a very big news story in our house. Right. But, yeah, the, they have kids. She passed away. I think that they, like, kept getting back together and getting remarried. I think that he got her pregnant while she was in jail. She He did, yeah. Alyssa Nutting, the person who like created Made for Love, like she wrote a book that's like a cross between that and Lolita that yeah. I think would be a really upsetting. I could understand the critical response. Listen, I, I still really like that book and I know a lot of people don't. It's called Tampa. I think that if it was filmed, I would understand the controversy and the blowback and the negative reception. Harmony Corinne really wanted to direct it and I say that sounded fun to me but i'd love to see him directed based on like a diablo cody script though i feel like you need yeah. someone like that to yeah i mean i think it could be really good and i actually think that oh, i guess nicole kidman might be too old now but anyway maybe the character that i plugged in but any that is to say like there is things about that book that feel like they could be exploitative I, right. I think that what it's trying to do is like explore the gender reversal of Lolita and how like a lot of the arguments that we have about female sexuality is like built on like just like straw logic. But here, right. I just don't think that there's no part of this that's like fucky. Well, I guess that's the, yeah, that's like another aspect of it too, is like the way that like, if this was about, like if birth was, if birth was about a grown man whose wife, dead wife came back to him in the body of a 10 year old girl, like. This, oh movie, this movie doesn't get made. But I think that like, and that's the thing is that there's always going to be somebody who's like, oh, so what's the double standard there? Or like, what is the issue? And it's like, well, there's just something inherently, it becomes I mean, inherently different when it's an older man and a younger girl because of the power and the history. Like you said, like just the long history we know of, of men, of older men in the power of manipulation over a younger woman. There's just like a dynamic there that's different. Well, and I think that there are so many, especially like visual and cinematic artifacts that almost like glorify the inverse, like whether it of be course. like Manhattan or the professional or whatever it is. Exactly, it's like, I think yeah. that there's like a canonist cinema that is almost like if they're hot, you can fuck in cinema. Like there's a bunch of those movies where I don't think there's the same gaze towards like a, a young, young male body. Or even, you know, upset by call me by your name, you know, by oh, the okay. of like I an mean, older man and a younger man, which is like, you An know. older cannibal. <laughs> yeah, in his twink. So tiny. Um, <laughs> this is my twink. Uh, I don't know why that was John Ham. That wasn't. That wasn't. Yeah, Army that was Hammer. John Ham. John Ham as the Army Hammer part and call me by your name would have been insane. 
<laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I fucked your son. I, I understand not liking this movie, but I don't understand like immediately having like a knee jerk reaction to it based on like the age politics of it, because I think that it is so tastefully done and it's so clearly not concerned with anything sexual. Yeah. The staging of a lot of their scenes together are just like so weird because they'll be like at a diner or something. And yeah. she'll be like, well, you know, you're going to have to take care of me. And he's like, I'll get a job. And like, and then she's like, well, like, what about my needs? And he's like, right. I know what you're talking about. You're <laughs> like, talking <he's>... about pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you think I don't remember how to do that. Um but I think that like the thing that also does kind of work about her performance too, is that like you said, she does kind of have like that excitement that you get mm-hmm. from like a new relationship or something like that. But I think it also is, even if her ex wasn't dead, it's like, it's almost like he represents that one relationship that was just really exciting and probably, you know, difficult maybe, but like, was ben just and like, Jennifer know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like the one that you just, the one that you just have held on to yeah. and she can't move past it. So it's like, even if he was literally alive, it does, it is something that's like a hindrance in her life where she just can't get past this guy and it's like nothing can replace that feeling and so the idea that like oh man that feeling it'd be like if her ex just literally came back into her life and was like hey I'm really sorry about everything from before and like I wish we would have done things differently in our relationship or whatever like like your basic just kind of shitty relationship that was like fun but like maybe a little toxic like there's something about that that's gonna still have that like addictive feeling to it and Mm -hmm. I think that you can also look at it in that regard too, where she's just like, she misses that feeling because she's obviously she not getting crazy. that. But yeah, the she movie... looks like she took like a little too much Adderall sometimes. Like she looks like a little, yeah. like she's stoked, but it doesn't feel yeah. grounded. I don't know. I, I think the movie just like, it works on so many different levels and like, yeah, like even watching it now, like there's definitely things I noticed in it that were like, yeah, like you could pick apart and could be, you know, considered like I think not I was great, just so but... happy to be back in 2004 movie land that I don't, yeah. I just like, I was just like enraptured by it. I was just so happy to be back there in a world that, yeah, nothing, everything wasn't an allegory for something else. Everything wasn't yeah. um, a little horrified. We haven't even talked about who I think is just the fucking secret weapon of this movie is, is Harris Savides, the cinematographer who... Is my favorite cinematographer ever. I love Harris Civides. He died uh, almost 10 years ago. He died in 2013, but he shot a lot of Gus Van Sant's movies. He shot Zodiac. He's Did he do To Die For? No, he didn't do To Die For. He did like some of the newer, he did like Elephant. Elephant? Yeah. Okay, that was um, gonna be my guess. He, I've just always really, really, he did Margot at the Wedding. Like he had, okay. I think that he is just one of the fucking best outside of like Gordon Willis who w- just was shooting natural low light. And, and working with shadows, you know, a DP who would, a lot of people might argue, you know, shoots too dark or whatever. There's a lot of scenes in this that are, you know, extremely dark. I really, really love what he does with this yeah, movie. He's just incredible. And this movie just looks so fucking good, especially like that first shot when he's running is just incredible. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I think this movie is really special. Yeah, we like this and- one. <laughs> Yeah, I just just think it's a really special movie. and I would be so excited if a theater wanted to show birth someday. Like, that would be... Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it's it's such... Once again, going back to, like, how it's shot, like, it's the way that it's shot and how dark it is. Like, it needs to be seen in a theater. And it's short enough that you could double feature it. I just really like this movie. It was a... I've been... 
waiting to watch it again because I knew that we were going to cover it. I think we're going to see this inch up, but it will take a while because 38% is. It's never going to be fresh, but you know, uh, maybe. I think it'll, I think we can get it up to like 45 in the next. This feels like something that'll probably get some sort of a criterion or some sort of re-release somewhere later down the road. But I feel like Jonathan Glazer is going to become one of those directors who like makes a movie every like once in a great while. And they'll do some sort of like box set for him or some shit. I met, uh, I met Joseph and he, he loves me. He sincerely does love me. And he's, you know, he's been dealing with me on this. He's been, um, he's been accepting of it and he's not, he's not growing insecure because of him. I mean, he's 10 years old. What are you saying? He's a little boy. (laughs) He's a little boy, I know. And... He said, um, and he told me his name was Sean. You know, I really hoped that he was Sean. I really, I wanted him to be Sean, but I knew he wasn't Sean. Uh, I knew it. This is insane. I mean, (laughs) it's insane, you know, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't. 38%. Not so great. I was kind of more interested in some of the more positive reviews for this because I was interested in the people that actually saw the value in this at the time. Because I, once again, it's such an easy movie to target. There were obviously a lot of negative reviews, overwhelmingly negative. Stanley Kaufman of The New Republic said, Birth is one of those films occasionally encountered that make me question my nativity or that of the filmmakers. Were they and I born on the same planet? If so, how could we now have such vastly different criteria of a film story's believability? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, maybe this is a movie that like would be more defended now because we get be, so few be. movies like this that people would be more, you know, listen, we were a little spoiled in the late 90s, early 2000s. There was a lot of even studios making like weirder shit. Like it's like this is a New Line Cinema movie. I don't know. I think now maybe people would be more like protective of it or something or be like, OK, I, I should probably, right. you know, some it, like the PTA quote, sometimes you got to defend the big swing. And I think this is one where it's like, just, you know, let's not shit on this movie because we should just be grateful it exists. Um, The Charlotte Observer said, birth, which should have never been conceived, is obscure in every way, visually, philosophically, and psychologically. Ella Taylor of LA Weekly said, birth may be the most futile application of cinematic and acting I've seen all year. A little Twilight Zone flummery would have livened up the proceedings to no end. What? The Hollywood Reporter said a paranormal mystery without a spine. It has no suspense because it has no belief in itself. I don't see this as being a like suspenseful movie or a thriller. I think it was marked as a thriller, which is really weird. Like I owned it and I'm pretty sure the spine of the DVD says thriller. I think you're right. Which is stupid. It is um, stupid. <laughs> like <laughs> It's a drama. It's like the most yes. basic um, category. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. The Oregonian. Did not like oh, hey. Oregonian said handsomely photographed, artfully edited, and acted with skill and conviction. It is also so stupid that you expect to see strings of drool dripping from the corner of the screen. Whoa, what the fuck? What about keeping Portland weird fuckface? <laughs> and then some mixed reviews. The New Yorker said this movie taken all together is one of the most bizarre combinations of distinguished talent and inane ideas that I've ever seen. The Village Voice said it birth succeeds more as a source of visual and oral enthrallment uh, than as a super than a supernatural narrative. It's largely because the final third hovers uncomfortably between the mystical and the earthbound. And then a couple positive reviews. Dana Stevens of the New York Times said without Miss Kidman's brilliantly nuanced performance, birth might feel arc, chilly, and a little sadistic but she gives herself so completely to the role that the film becomes both spellbinding and heartbreaking, a delicate chamber piece with the large troubled heart of an opera. And then Roger Ebert liked this movie. Roger Ebert 
thought he would. Yeah. Yeah. He, he comes through an effective thriller precisely because it is true to the way sophisticated people might behave in this situation. Its characters are not movie characters, gullible, emotional, and quickly move to tears. They're realists, rich, and a little jaded. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's another great part of it. And I do love how like minimal some of the scenes are as far as like dialogue. Like it does feel like it was stripped down. Like Mm -hmm. that's what made another reason that I thought that it was maybe like a script that had been like circulating for a while that he just stripped down the way that someone like did with drive. Yeah. Like let's just take everything out. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like at times. But yeah, this movie premiered at the 2004 Venice film festival where it was booed and (gasps) uh, cat called. (laughs) People were like, show us your pussy. movie." I I don't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why didn't she fuck the kid? <laughs> they told me Kidman was going to fuck this little boy. Wrong Italian no, accent. That's no like tits. a New York Italian. I know. That's the head of the Venice Film Festival. There were no tits. <laughs> this movie ain't winning the Golden Lion. <laughs> we were promised some fucking titties. <laughs> but Nicole Kidman was nominated for Best Actress of the Golden Globes. Otherwise, did not get any awards consideration i think she should have been nominated for best actress for this she's uh, this is one of my favorite performances of hers period yeah this and margo i feel like she should have been nominated for and she wasn't like they're both just such difficult performances that she mm-hmm. pulls off i'm like come on man you know how i feel about to die her to uh, die for her accent oh, well, she flips sure. sometimes but yeah but she's young then she's she's uh, watching to die for again recently like first of all not only should she be nominated for it matt dylan is so fucking funny in that movie everything about that movie is pitch perfect matt like, dylan really actually thinking. sounds like the oh, guy so i was funny. just doing in it he's like yeah hey, yeah yeah i know that you really like your news thing but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie is so fucking so good. good i think yeah it's so fucking good it's a movie that i don't know if i ever go like that and like out of sight or something like i feel like i watch them every yeah. single year gone girl something like that yeah if this movie was made right now i actually and i think this is because i just watched that movie the world to come which i wasn't crazy about but mm-hmm. i would the acting's really good i think that casey affleck would have played the danny houston part well oh i actually agree with that he plays a similar character in the world to come. It's like a kind of frontier era um, love story about Catherine Waterson and Vanessa Kirby. Oh, I'm looking, oh yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Cause every lesbian love story has to be in like the 1800s now it's them falling in love and Casey Affleck plays Catherine Waterson's husband. And he kind of like, I think he's so good in it because he plays this like, he basically is just gone all the time working and then he comes home and like you can tell that he understands that his wife is in love with this woman, but he never says anything and he kind of alludes to it, mm-hmm. but he becomes like extremely sympathetic to their situation and is basically like, I love my wife and I know that she loves this other woman, but I still love her and I'm going to support her. That's kind of like the disobedience dude role too, right? Yeah. He comes not, around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think that like, Casey Affleck does lean really, really tricky with that part. And I was really, really fucking impressed by his work in that. And it made me think that he could have done justice to the Danny Houston part in this. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to do this part, but this would not be rotten to today in general. Like if this was made today, exactly as it is, it could probably still be a Nicole Kidman part. Totally. It could still, it could totally still it'd be Nicole, still be Kidman, Nicole Kidman. I, I like um, to, like, she's so good when she's good. Well, she's always good. She is so good in the roles that I think are like truly made for her and meant for her to inhabit that yeah. it becomes so difficult for me to ever think of like who like re- replace her. She feels like the unmovable part of it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, maybe he would get something good out of Scarlett Johansson again. Who knows? Oh, true, 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 true. I, um, I like her more than a lot of people like her. 
I think she's really good in Under the Skin. I think that's another tricky part that people yeah. don't, because she doesn't have to speak, maybe people like overlook it, but like, that's a really I just, role. I like to support my fellow Asian American actresses. And that's so. why you got to support Scarlett. <laughs> yeah. She gets it. But yeah, this movie is one of Nicole Kidman's favorites of her filmography. She says that she thinks it's one of the most overlooked and misunderstood films of her career, saying the controversies surrounding the bathtub scene eclipse the themes of grief and vulnerability. But yeah, she did like a retrospective, I think a, a few years ago, and she just talked about how much she loved this movie. It's great. Yeah, she's right. Who's your MVP? It's it's boring, but it's Kidman. Like... I think it's Kidman and Harris Avedis. I really love. I yeah, think Harris Avedis fucking just knocks the shit out of the park. Like I cannot believe he was never nominated for an Oscar. It just feels like such a it's, can, it's such but. a specific movie that I kind of just like. I like all of it too. Like I don't know. Yeah, I think everybody yeah. does such. I think like this list. I think it's just like a perfect marriage of direction, lead actress, cinematography, the score by Alexander Despot. Like we said, is just fucking so good. It's such a good score. I'm surprised that score hasn't been used in another movie or like a trailer. Mm. It feels like the perfect score that from like a more obscure movie from the 2000s that like somebody would have recycled the score at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they have and I don't know, but it's fucking such good. It's such a good score. And uh, who knows what it would have been with Christina Applegate in the lead role. I don't understand that. I really I just want to know how she either. got involved in this. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't want to like... I, again, I really like Christina Applegate. I think that she almost brings like an overtly sexual vibe that I actually think that the movie would have maybe then tiptoed in into like, I, you know what I mean though? Like not to be like, she has big knockers, but kind of, or like, <laughs> or the characters that she's played before. The kid, I don't know. The kid comes back. Oh my God. I can't oh, believe it. my wife has these huge tits. <laughs> <laughs> And also, he has the same voice as uh, oh my that god, bada bing baby. <laughs> I hit the jackpot. This kid's a fucking criminal who just comes back to life. Well, I guess that's the thing. She, like, she could play it if it's a, if it's a comedy. Like, she could play the comedic version of this movie. I actually think Christina Applegate so, would have been an interesting choice for the Anne Hage part. Same. I think she could have done that. But I agree with that. Yeah. This okay. Kid, fine. Remake today it might just, be Charlize Theron as the lead. Yeah. For sure, but the same because she could pull the haircut off. Wow, I think the, you, wow you're. <laughs> I love Nicole Kidman. I think she's great. It's just it's not my favorite. No, that look was of hers. just so good. I, I think the kid at the end should have just revealed. He should have just had her down and be like, "Lady, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm, I'm fucking horny. I'm so fucking horny. <laughs> you please fuck me. I told all my boys at school that that I was. This kid they, does not have boys at school. It's very clear. Apparently, he does because he's like, you know, my friend. End, my friends don't does. know about anything. Yeah. She, also, she, everyone like giving this movie like shit. Like, I love the movie Big, but in the movie Big, an actual 11-year-old or 12-year-old does fuck a 35-year-old. So, and fuck you. And like, 13 going on 30, like, technically, Ruffalo is... Yeah. She's still 13. She's just... I've never been kissed. Like, he thinks she's a kid. Like, there's so many more creepier things, but... I liked you Whatever. a lot more when I thought you were a real high school kid. I <laughs> <laughs> know that that's another movie we should like that in the fake Munchausen one is that like Even, oh I liked you better when I thought you were. <laughs> what's that teacher's name? Michael. Um, who plays the teacher? Never been kissed. Michael. Vin uh, oh, he was also in One Hour Photo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he just went that? away, and was he an alias? Yeah. God damn it, Michael Vartan. Vartan. Yeah. Vartan, whatever the fuck. He <laughs> he definitely ghosted her after he found out she was a real high school student. Yeah. Or not a high school uh, student. An adult. You're my age. 
Fuck this. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you think this movie's a masterpiece? Yeah, this is this is one of the only ones for me that gets misunderstood masterpiece. It's definitely misunderstood. I can say that it's 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 probably one of the most misunderstood movies I think uh, of the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's a great. Yeah. Please watch it. It's on Stars, yeah. which is so weird. So weird. It's weird that Stars it, 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 Stars is just not. I feel like it should be on HBO, maybe if any of the bigger <laughs> ones. Uh, but it just lives on Stars. So hey, feel the seat underneath you. Feel yourself sinking down into it, enfolding you. It's a nice feeling. All you feel is a pleasant warmth and heaviness. Imagine you're at Eden. Imagine you arrive at Eden through the woods. What frightens you? I think he gives you too much medication. Dr. Wayne says you want me back home. I heard a sound, the cry of all the things that are to die. That's what fear is. Your thoughts distort reality. You have to have the courage to stay in the situation that frightens you. Do you love me? <laughs> I can't do this. The ground is burning. The ground is not burning. Tell me what you think is supposed to happen in the woods. It's time to open a window and talk about Lars Van Trier's 2009 ambitious take on the loss of a child, Antichrist, a film that I once said I would never watch again, but here we are. (laughs) The film begins fine enough with full-on penis and vagina action, but then it takes a turn for the tragic as we realize that the couple who is boning who remain unnamed throughout the whole course of the movie, but they're played by Quillem Defoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah. Gainsbourg, you got it. Gainsbourg. Like Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah, I know. I like her dad. Mm-hmm. Are in the th- I like her too. Are in the throes of fuck as their toddler child, Nick, plummets from their upstairs window to his death. The pair. <laughs> and then from there, like the movie goes crazy. But the pair retreat to a woodland cabin as they attempt to mount their unfathomable loss, all while the husband, a psychiatrist, attempts to treat his own wife for her grief. The film then plummets into a flurry of fucked up visuals that include a penis coming blood and a CGI fox addressing the camera to announce let chaos reign, both of which aren't even the most notable fucked up moments in Antichrist. It's just chaos reigns, not let chaos reign. Come on. Chaos reigns. That's the quote. Yeah. (laughs) This this movie is a 53% and a 55% audience score. So to me, that is part and parcel of like, I do not think how birth would be rotten today because even a few years later, Antichrist is inches so much more close to fresh than birth I ever mean, had a chance I Lars von Trier's gotten, I think I, he, gets, he, get, he gets a break. He, he gets a break I know. A lot from people, but I think that I know. he, you know, he has his defenders, obviously. He has the people. I defend I some defend, of his movies. I do too. Listen, I look, I guess we can start with Antichrist by talking about Lars von Trier because sure. it is, uh, his name is all over the movie. Um, he likes to let you know that he directed it. And, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> and is such a nice ways. way of putting that. And, he would uh, prefer that you know that he was behind this. Just so you know, I made this. Yeah, he's, uh, it's like when you're watching girls and the end credits come up and everything is done by Lena Dunham and you're like, oh, you could have just done one credit block for yourself. Uh, that's probably the only time you'll ever be able to compare Lars von Trier and Lena Dunham. So Lars von Trier, I 
he was just always a director when I was younger that like I knew about, I didn't really watch his stuff. Um, I got more into his filmography, I think in my twenties, this was one of his first movies that I saw. Obviously he's like the, you know, the poster child of, you know, like the fucking bad boy European director who says really fucked up shit and likes to uh, stir controversy and poke his viewers. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think that I, I kind of land in the middle somewhere on Lars von Trier where I'm like, you know what? I think it's I think it's easy to be like, oh, this fucking edgelord, you know, fucking one of <laughs> like <laughs> whatever. Like, listen, I get it. But like, I don't think that he to me, like something like what Todd Phillips did with Joker, I associate more with being like a like intentional like edgelord where I'm like, oh, I'm going to do something really edgy. I don't think that what I think Lars von Trier stuff, it comes naturally to him. I think that's just a part of who he is, unfortunately. Like he's clearly a fucked up guy. He has a lot of depression, which I. And I would also say, like, I think that he has like really sincere misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> like especially yeah. in this movie because you're right like i think that he is a director that really successfully can articulate depression like melancholia being a movie that i think is like a spectacular masterpiece i absolutely love that movie and i think that it and this movie share some of the same dna however like i really dislike this movie and i dislike the experience <laughs> of watching it it's my least favorite out of because it's this and melancholia and nymphomaniac are part of a trilogy mm-hmm. uh the and i like nymphomaniac i think well. nymphomaniac volume one is incredible i think mm-hmm. it's one of the best things he's done i think volume two is not great because i think that volume two reveals that it is really a Lars von Trier movie and that he can't help himself sometimes. He really just does that a lot where like by you, the time you get to the ending event of, of Nymphomaniac Volume 2, the very last scene with Charlotte Gainsbourg and Stellan Skarsgård, you know, it's just like, I get it, but like, come yeah. on. You were so close to just doing something so fucking just sincere. And it would, and I think that's a th- something that a lot of critics point out with him is that like the most shocking thing that he could do at this point is do something that's not shocking. And I think Nymphomaniac at the end almost comes close to it. And then he just fucking doubles down on it. I think that that melancholia does do that. Like, I think that as like, yeah, like no, 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 sure. as that movie is, it's actually, I mean, for him, like incredibly like restrained and giving and it is an incredible ending. Yeah. It's like more empathetic than I think that we ever get. It's also like, like the most accurate depiction of depression, which is why it's really I hard love to watch. It. Yeah. It's incredibly hard to watch. This movie, I... The beginning is like so upsetting. Like to watch a kid die is so upsetting um, <laughs> for me. Um, <laughs> Listen, I, watching a kid die is really upsetting. But the way that he frames that shot, it, whenever I see that kid fall out the window, I feel like there should be a noise. It's like whoa! <laughs> I always also make a um, Eric Clapton tears in heaven joke. To, to me. I'm like, yeah, is I thought a about that too. to this movie just tears in heaven. The the movie that this I have like a very similar relationship with that I. I, I probably like this movie a little bit, or sorry, I like Mother Exclamation Point probably slightly more than this. Mother um, but I low, feel lowercase m explanation point. Thank you so much. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, because I think that like they're both rep, like artifacts from people that I think are really talented, but right. are ultimately <laughs> just like exercises in um, like justifying like extreme misogyny through like high art. <laughs> well, I think um, that you're right. You're right. in that he is, he is misogynistic, but it, it's in a way that's almost like, it's so much, I don't know how to explain this. That it, it's so misogynistic that it almost transcends misogyny to become just like, not, not misogynistic, but you're I just think like, that that's only true. Once you see some of his other movies, like I think like as a c- capsule antichrist, I, I think I hate the politics of this movie. I, I, I don't hate, even really know what the politics are of this movie. 
Well, I, I just don't, it's just like, she's a witch. <laughs> well, no, I think that the whole thing is like, it's so clearly alluding to like the Garden of Eden and then being yeah. like Adam and Eve and like, <laughs> I, I don't like talking about Antichrist because I don't like even having to talk about the visual metaphors and what Adam yes. and everything represents because Same it's with so cringe to me that I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it because it's Me too, like, Yeah. I recently watched Breaking the Waves for the first time, which I think is, okay. I mean, probably his best movie. It's incredible. I still like Melancholia more, but yeah. And Breaking the Waves is incredible. I yeah, mean, he's really talented. And like, I, like, and he writes great female characters sometimes. That's the thing. Is yeah, he, writes, he definitely really, does. And I think that the character Nymphomaniac, I think the lead is a good character. I think she's strong. I, and I think that her performance is a little too like breathy and whispery for me. Like I understand that she's like in grief, but I don't Which think- one? Are you talking about Nymphomaniac? Or, oh, I'm so uh, sorry. Oh, this, Charlie, this one? Yeah. I think it's like the a flimsier. I think that she plays a very really similar character in Melancholia, but luckily there's a Kristen Dunst character to kind of stand in and operate the film. Like, I like this and Dogville and Dancer in the Dark. I like probably half of I his think movies. Dancer in the movies. Yeah. I think, I think Dancer I, in the Dark and Breaking the Waves are just incredible movies. But. I just, I don't, and again, like Willem Dafoe is really good here. I don't think Charlotte Skamborg is like necessarily bad. I just don't think that there's like, I don't like the part as much, probably. It's not a very um, good part. I think she's great. I just think that it's it's an extremely demanding, difficult performance. And I credit both of these fucking actors for just yeah. giving, I mean, D- listen, Dafoe always fucking. He's really know, hot you know, here, Willem which I feel really hunted. upset about. I'm like, God, he's really hot in these. Willem Dafoe's. He's super hot. He's great. You know, he's his fucking giant giant dick just apparently it's Is not really true? well so okay so Lars to me that feels like lore like ooh, the lion and the mgm thing growled because or like the, there's a dead no apparently willem in. defoe does have a, a very large penis and apparently that is his penis in a lot of shots but von apparently his penis needed to be edited out Lars von Trier said it was too large and unusual looking he said it was distracting i mean i believe it may or may not be true i think willem defoe's got a big dick i definitely don't i would i would have if someone told me that i wouldn't even question it hey hey, you never know i would you know what that does not surprise me that willem defoe is fucking packing it you know like he looks (laughs) like he is man (laughs) i mean the most interesting thing about the premise of the movie to me is something that like on first first watch i really didn't pay attention to because like the visuals become so arresting let's say is it like this husband attempts to treat his wife for grief because he kind of is just like a hotshot idiot that doesn't think that the rules apply to him like i think that that story is interesting but then what it like sort of plummets into is just like so intentionally like depressing that i can no longer like connect with it kind of in the same way that i do think that mother exclamation point lowercase has Mm -hmm. like a really amazing 30 minutes 30 like up at the front with Michelle Pfeiffer doing laundry um, passive aggressively. That's like so incredible. And like passive aggressively. Michelle Pfeiffer is, is incredible. In mother. She's so like, I've never wanted a, someone to be. Like, I think everyone is good in mother. Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible. <laughs> I think that she deserved an award for like the movie that I probably hated the most that year. Like, I think that she's incredible in it. And I think that again, like the opening, I am like really in tune with and, and really liked and was like on track to enjoy it. And then like what it becomes reminds me of this where I'm like, oh, it just, it kind of intentionally like falls apart or goes crazy. And I think that it's like intentionally like 
hard to penetrate because then I think it makes it harder to criticize. Like almost the opposite of birth where birth is like very linear and sincere where this becomes like such a blown out metaphor that I think that it made it really hard for critics to feel like they could say anything firmly against it and not feel stupid because I think that like you could be like, well, you just don't get it. Yeah, it definitely has the the air of that. Like I think Aronofsky and, and, and Lars von Trier, I mean, they're, they're, they're different in obviously a, a oh, lot yeah. of ways. Uh, I think Darren Aronofsky's obviously has a little bit more range and has, he can kind of let the movie be its own thing a little bit more, but I, I get that with mother because mother in this both, I, it, my theory with mother, because I, I, I actually do like mother and I, but I also get another movie where I'm like, I totally get it if you don't like it. I had a great time watching it. I had a fun time, but uh <laughs> I think it does overstay its welcome by about 10 minutes. I think that the ending, 10? like- the, I think the last, like how you were saying a couple of weeks ago that you thought the last shot of Jungle Fever was like crazy. I think that the last two minutes of Mother, I'm just like, fuck this movie. And I stopped enjoying it like 40 minutes before that. See, I, I once everybody comes to the house for the funeral and she can't get everybody off the- um, I like that part, the sink. Yeah. See, when, when everybody starts, like that's just like my- I don't know. That's, that's just like, that's very you... up my alley. And so like, I was like, I found it very funny. Just a bunch of people just like telling her to like calm down um, and her trying to get people off the sink or whatever. I think it's all really fucking funny. And then I think that it's great up until they're just literally beating the shit out of her. Yeah. Um, at that point I was like, okay, I'm done. But up until then I had a great time. I thought it was very yeah, funny. Yeah. And I feel similarly with this. Like I never have a good time like, with Antichrist. <laughs> okay. I mean, because well, like, I think it's like, very much a like punishing like, movie, but it, yeah. it's supposed to be. When it's um, like showing you fucked up visuals, like a deer running away while giving birth, like, you know, they're kind of like beat you over the head, obvious and stupid, yeah. but like, listen, they are pretty. I'm not going to like, they're like, yeah. Anthony Dodd Mantle like, is a great fucking DP. He's like okay. his long, one of his longtime guys, and and he was one of the first like Dogma ninety five people to shoot like digital, and and I mean, look, he's a fucking really talented guy. Yeah, and for a while the movie is like f- kind of like pretty like death metal screensaver shit to me that I'm fine with until right. it gets to like some of the parts. So so like maybe I'm just like one of those people where like the bathtub scene and birth doesn't bother me, but the scenes in this movie that sort of are like the most called out. Yeah, like right him after jacking the, off, her jacking him off with. I mean, blood it comes. <laughs> kind of have fun at it's like everything after that it happens to all men i was just like holy no that one i think is like kind of fun because it is just so squirty (laughs) yeah it's so ridiculous i don't like what she her mutilating herself herself is really hard to watch i don't watch that part i just watching it this time i was watching yesterday and i was just like man i i i didn't really like it at the time and I admire parts of it. Like I, yeah. even with the Lars von Trier movie, like I can usually admire some shit about it. House of Jack built, I really actively did not like. That's uh, too even, bad because it has Matt Dillon in it. I know it Matt, and I well, listen, like it. Matt Dillon's great in it. Matt Dillon's Please. giving a great performance. And there are parts of House of Jack built that are very funny. It's like a serial killer movie, right? Yeah. And there's parts of it that are, that are good and that are super funny, but then he just can't help himself. So of course we get to a scene and I'm sure we'll cover House of Jack built. It's just like, it gets to a part where it's literally like he is slicing off Riley Keough's nipples. And I was like, I don't need to watch this. Or he's no, not even her nipples, her whole tit. Sorry. And I was just like, Hey, I, maybe I'm just getting older, but I don't fucking need to watch Matt Dillon slice someone's tit off. That just doesn't do anything for me or my life. I'm not shocked by it. I'm just kind of like, this is sad that mm-hmm. you want to do this but i think yeah lars montreal is just one of those guys where you're like listen 
He's undeniably like a very talented director who I think just can't get out of his own way a lot of the time. And that's kind of his problem. But like Mm -hmm. he obviously has an understanding of trauma and pain that not a lot of other directors do. And that's what can make them difficult to watch. I think Melancholy is one that I've wanted to rewatch recently that I just I haven't done it especially during quarantine i think it's really hard to watch his movies during quarantine because they are such like depressing snow globes of what the world is anyway like yeah i wanted to rewatch melancholia because i i think it's gorgeous like i really as much as like i talk if someone was to say lars van trier is one of their favorite filmmakers i would side eye that person and not trust them you know, I wouldn't talk to them at work. I really wouldn't. However, I would, I would, said, I would like, like he's made out. some movies that I consider like some of my favorite movies, or I, I consider Melancholia like amongst my favorite films. But it's almost like he's, you know, like a lot of guys, like like almost like a Terrence Malick. I think he's almost become a parody of himself later in his career, where you just know yeah. all of his moves, you know all of his tricks. So the things that are supposed to be really upsetting, by the time they come around, you're so numb to it that it just doesn't even yeah. really have that effect on you. But like watching like breaking the waves i mean not only for like the incredible fucking lead performances but it you know the one thing that was most surprising to me about breaking the waves is like it's so fucking heavy and it's so fucking relentlessly bleak that like the ending is actually really cheesy and sweet mm-hmm. had this super cheesy sweet ending and it's really emotional and it's really affecting dancer in the dark is one where it's like <laughs> It almost becomes comical how awful this woman's life yeah. is. Like at a certain point, you're just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> as soon as she's in court and they're just like berating her, you're like, this is a and nightmare. And Dogville's similar. I, I haven't really, seen Dogville and I want to watch like it. it. I, I, I heard do Manderley like is awful, but the sequel. I've never Dogville. seen I've heard it's Manderley. Really, really and doesn't Bryce Dallas Howard take over that part? Yeah. That's a hard part to take. I mean, anytime Nicole, like we were just talking about For it. Sure. Like, I, I don't envy the person that has to take over a Nicole Kidman role, but uh, no, I never saw Manderley. Dogville, I think, is maybe the first one that I ever watched. Interesting. Because okay, it like yeah, yeah. came out when I was in high right, school. And right, right, right. Back and then, and then, you know, Antichrist comes out. And like at the time Antichrist came out, like I saw it in the theater and I think I was like, I no longer watch his movies. Like that's how right. bad I thought it was. And not even like bad. <laughs> It, it was like, I, you know, I have a hard time too when like a director is like intentionally trolling their audience. Like a director that everyone likes a little more than I do is Gaspar Now for the same reason. Like I yeah. really did not like the, what's that one where there's LED dicks and I'm already bored? The big, oh, Enter ever, the Void. Enter the Void. I haven't seen I, Enter the Void actually. Oh, you haven't? No, I've only seen um, I Stand Alone, Irreversible. Okay. Uh, I've only seen Irreversible and... Climax is horrible. I actually almost walked out of Climax because I was just like. I think that he is like the, like he's going to take the baton that Lars van Trier leaves. Like, I feel like they are kind of like similar directors where sometimes they don't want their audience to have a nice time. And I, and like, I think that there's room for that, but sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's interesting that a guy like Nicholas Winding Refn can still like, he falls into that camp, but he still feels like he is trying to entertain in some way. He still feels like he like likes movies. Yeah, yeah. That is still sort of like entertainment where sometimes with like Gaspar now, he'll um, incorporate like literal like frequencies that are known to give people migraines and I I get migraines and I'm like, why are you doing this? Like I spent $20 to go see your fucking movie. I'm sure we'll cover love at some point. Um, I'm a weird defender of love. Yeah, I know you are. Once again, if someone was like, I hate that movie, but like fair enough. It's it's got some bad shit in it, but I kind of like it. But I feel like that's what it is with a lot of these guys like Ref and and von Trier and 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 um and Gaspar know where it's like I feel like depending who you talk to like you'll always be surprised by the movie of theirs that they actually are okay with that they're like you know right. what I can take that one but I can't take that one 
high school like that Ron Freer and like Hanukkah were, like I kind of watched them in the same way mm-hmm. where it's like kind of always in an uncomfortable performance but I feel like for some reason like Hanukkah has been able to like get enough like prestige or like walks that balance beam a little more precisely where he can have Oscar movies and like Von Trier can't and I don't understand I think Hanukkah really is more like, like where those two I feel like, yeah I think Hanukkah has more of a he has more discipline I think he's a little, (laughs) he's more restrained. And I think he, he, I think he's the best at ramping up his audience. I think he's the best at getting Mm -hmm. you. He kind of can lull you in, in a way that's uh, a little more subtle than some of those other guys. But I also just think he's the best director out of those people. I just think he's a really fucking great director. Like this is a movie that like, I know a lot of people like, like. Yeah. I mean, all of his movies have some sort of a falling, but I think that Antichrist did appear to be the one that like, was kind of like the career, the point in his career where it was like, you either keep going with him or you don't. Yeah. And I thought I wasn't going to. And then I was curious enough. Probably I'll always watch what about- he does. I'll watch, you know, whatever his next film is, like whatever he puts out, I'll, I'm willing to watch it. But when- after watching this movie again, because I like, I agree, like I like the Nymphomaniac one. I want to watch the serial killer one with hot Matt Dillon and I love Melancholia, all of which like come after this. But w- as I was watching this again, I still had like the instinct to be like, fuck this guy forever. I hate, I hate him. It's like, yeah. it, it feels like it colors your other like sentiments towards his other movies in like a gross way where I'm like, I don't like you anymore. I'm done with you. And I don't mean it after, like, I'm clearly going to take it back, but I really dislike the experience of watching this movie. (laughs) No, I'm 100% with you. I really... I, I respect a lot of parts of this movie just from like a technical level and and from like... like Yeah, listen, the fox is great. Um, (laughs) I think we all know the fox is great. Um, But I think that the... I don't know. I, I, I try not to like... I don't I want to at, read this movie either. I no, feel like that's know, like falling into his trap. That's what I was going to say too, is that like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, I'm not trying to be like, I'm, I'm trying to be bigger than him, but like, it's not like that. I'm just like, I know the response he's trying to get out of me. And the older I get, the more I'm just like, listen, like I can respect parts of this movie. I'm not going to like, you know, throw up my arms and outrage over this. Cause that's what he yeah, wants you to do. Exactly. Um, and I don't think there's anything that's so fucking outrageous in this movie that it's just like, you know, like no, you should get to pierce a dick if you want to, like, for that's sure. fine. I just and listen, don't props care. to him for fucking showing a lot of dick, you know, True. someone's got to show some dick. dick. I think out of all of his movies, even house of Jack felt like out of all the recent ones, this is the one that like, I know in some ways has like probably gotten the most of a following besides melancholia, but like, yeah, it's the one that I just really, I realize I just have the least amount to say about it. I just don't. I don't have any, yeah. Have many thoughts on it outside of just like, yeah, I get what it's trying to do because it's pretty literal. I get why someone hates it. I get why someone likes it. There are things that I just, I try to take a step back from it now and be like, okay, that goes against most things that I like or my sensibilities. And I try to just like respect it. Like, yeah, that obviously clicks for somebody. I do think that there's with somebody like Lars von Trier, there's always going to be people that like it just to be like either a contrarian or because yeah. it's like quote unquote fucked up for yeah. sure. And I think there's people that genuinely just like relate to his films or or maybe not relate, but like feel something from them. Cause I've gotten something from a lot of his films. Yeah. And I think a lot of that probably does come down to like with melancholia, like I have horrible depression and watching the very elongated sequences of them just lounging around that house and just laying around. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's what that feels like in a way that I've never really seen 
in another movie and it's really difficult to watch. And I think he clearly understands that. At the same time, like I also think that he's clearly somebody who has a lot of internal pain and does a lot of things to get reactions out of people. But I do think a lot of it does come from a genuine place from what I can tell. Like, I mean, who can really say for sure, I guess, but like it, it feels authentic to me and that like he just clearly is a guy who probably it seems like he's pretty miserable in, in a lot of his life. And, Definitely. Um, <laughs> I just like with this movie, especially like it, like melancholia, I like because it is just like an exploration of depression. But this movie, because it's like explicitly up at the top, it tells you like about mourning. Sometimes I feel like it uses like one of the ugliest things I think you can show an audience, like the death of a child to propel this story forward. And I think that maybe I would appreciate it more if like because like yeah I, I like the scene like if you don't give me that first scene and I just know that the kid died you know like because I think that ultimately like it ends up not being about mourning uh, like the loss of a child which is fine I don't know I just don't I guess I'm more interested in his movies that are more explicitly about depression like melancholia or something like nymphomania that is more explicitly about sex and like once right. it's like commingled here I um, well, I think I, yeah, I react in a poor way. I just, I, I think it's easy to write a guy like that off. I, I think I, that I, also the way that we talk about filmmakers now too, especially in the light of the last few years and how we reevaluate directors' works and and things like that. I don't know. I think that we've be we've gotten to a place where just like everything is so black and white. And the conversations that we have surrounding these directors, like, you know, the whole thing with like that Woody Allen documentary coming out and people were like, well, they should take Woody Allen's movies off HBO. And it's like, well, no, that's stupid. And just that idea of like, oh, we can just like pretend like this person just didn't exist. I know. Um, And it's like, you can choose whether or not you want to watch something or give something your money. But like with a guy like Lars von Trier, it's just like, listen, he can make whatever movie he wants. It can offend you and it can upset you. And that's fine. And clearly that's what he wants. But I, I think I've kind of come full circle where like when I was younger, maybe I would respond to things like this because they were fucked up and because you're looking for mm-hmm. things that are fucked up. And then you go through that period of like, oh, no, fuck people like that. Like, that's so lame. And now I'm just kind of like, you know what? Like, whatever. That's yeah. what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. And like, I'll like some of his stuff and I won't like some of it. Think what you want of him as a person. But uh, I don't know. I just I, I I wish that we could just evaluate a lot of these people's work in a lot more of like a nuance. Well, I also think like what you said about Woody Allen is like, that's a specifically like that American response, like what, like how we had to take Donald Trump or people wanted to take Donald Trump out of Home Alone too. And I think that like, that is so irresponsible. Not because they think- yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like That's a petition. So and I'm like, and I think especially when it comes to that specific example, it's like, hey, no, like the the fact that we let him exist is like TV and movie fodder, like gave us the world that we still are like living in. And so you can't just like take that away. Like, I feel like that is very yeah. American to be like, oh, oops, like, so he's gone now. But it's like, no, we, we have culpability. You can't airbrush them from history. You just are pretending you can choose to avoid that person's work and you can choose like, you know what? I have a feeling that I'm not going to like that person's work or I've heard things about them. So maybe I don't want to expose myself to that. And that's totally valid. But yeah, to to act like something doesn't exist or to completely write somebody off because they seem like they're not a fucking good person or because they've said stupid shit in interviews like Lars von Trier is just like... Yeah, I was going to say, Lars like isn't like explicitly canceled. He just says stupid shit in interviews. 
you know, and you hear about like, obviously like from Bjork, like what he put her through on the set of that. And like, yeah, I don't support that. I don't think that's a way to shoot a movie. I don't think that's a way to collaborate with somebody. Did he get a great performance out of her? And did he make a great movie? Yeah, I would say he did, but that doesn't mean that it was worth it for, you know, whatever you put her through. So you can look at something through the lens of, of when it was made and how it was made. And you're going to be able to dig up any old movie and be able to say like, Hey, there's something really fucked up in this. And like mm-hmm. all the sexual politics of this or whatever is fucked up. And it's like, yeah, of course I mean, even are. Toy Story, there's like some things where you're like, oh, this would play differently now. Yeah. Like, you but, can't. But I hate that I watch movies like that now too. Even subconsciously, I'm like, oh, yeah. would like, is this weird that I'm laughing at this? Or is it weird that like, I think this is a good movie or like, is that bad? And it's like, no, like there's context to all of this. Like, obviously you can tell when something was made just maliciously, you, you know, or, 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 or to be racist, you know, like, I think you can tell the fucking difference between that and like, just like different, like class or race politics of like the time but i don't know like all that to say i just i i don't really feel one way or another about this movie and i guess that's kind of yeah i think that's i just felt numb to it by the end yep i mean Um, i just yeah i I think i I kind of more don't like it than you do but for sure and that's totally fair i I, don't dislike it yeah with like the vitriol that i disliked it 10 years ago like now i mean maybe it's partially because like he's created other work that have have cushioned me against it i think i like the guy like if i have to dislike or like him i think i like him but again i would side-eyed you heavily if you were like Lars van trier top three filmmakers ever i'd be like no that's not sure i mean i would (laughs) want to know why i I, I don't know because i think Lars von trier does have these moments and all and and at least most of his films especially melancholia nymphomaniac volume one and breaking the waves that are just they kind of catch you off guard with how utterly human and painful they are but in a way that doesn't feel like he's trying to to get a reaction out of you that it and it's these moments where everything kind of just is simple and it feels like it's coming from a really authentic place in him and a really painful place but it's very real and it's very relatable and you know i remember thinking that in nymphomaniac volume one especially the scenes with christian slater as her dad they're really beautiful and like especially in breaking the waves there's just like so many like just profoundly beautiful moments that you're like man this guy clearly has so much going on and so much to say, but he just can't help himself sometimes. Yeah. You look like you slept well. Thanks, I did. I just wanted to say how happy I am that you're here. I love you, darling. Did you have a good sleep? I've just been having a lot of crazy dreams. Dreams are of no interest in modern psychology. Freud is dead, isn't he? Yeah. Critics? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Dana Stevens of Slate, who liked Birth, did not like this movie. She said, I like her. She's great. She's a really good writer. Um, so the last 20 minutes are horrifically violent, relentlessly claustrophobic, and irredeemably pointless. Von Trier has us on the hot seat, and he's going to walk us through his most primitive sexual nightmares, not because they'll bring us to a greater understanding of madness or love or grief, but just because he bloody well feels like it. I think that's how I felt at the time, too. Time Out New York said the new the new movie is a joke. A toxic cocktail of banal psychobabble, laughably arty slow-mo flourishes, and unmotivated sexual violence that only brain and jar types could take as a serious statement. 
Claudia Pugh of USA Today said the movie immerses itself in the darkest despair imaginable, blending dystopian porn with ghastly horror and graphic violence. But it's all done in a mundane, almost clinical way. Antichrist is probably the most disturbing, bleak, and self-indulgent film ever made. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. A.O. Scott of the New York Times said, The scandal of Antichrist is not that it is grisly or upsetting, but that it is so ponderous, so conceptually thin, and so dull. I think that's kind of how I felt. I was just like, oh, yeah, it's just kind of dull. And like after a while, it's like kind of visually inert and just I was like, I just want something. I was just like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's the blood coming out of his dick. OK. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I agree with Jay Hoberman of the Village Voice. He just said the shock tactics are ultimately numbing. Getting into more like mixed reviews, the Oregonian said there's a lot of hate in this film but a lot of talent too. It borders on despicable, but you can't ignore it. The spectators said Antichrist is definitely made visually atmospheric and has at its heart two of the rawest, bravest performances you will probably ever see. It's also horrible. And therein lies the rub, I suppose. And then just two positive reviews because there were people that really liked it. Um, The AV Club said Antichrist is a boldly personal film, tossing all of all of Von ideas about faith, fear, and human nature into an unfettered phantasmagoria full of repulsive visions and fierce scorn. It's also the most lush looking movie Von Trier has made in about 20 years. And then Roger Ebert liked this movie. Well, really? Roger Ebert liked it. He said more than anything else, I responded to the performances. Feature films may be fiction, but they are certainly documentaries showing actors in front of a camera. Both Defoe and Gainsbourg have been risk takers as anyone working with Von Trier must be. And the ways that they're called upon to act in this film are extraordinary. They respond without hesitation. More importantly, they convince. Who's your MVP? Um, that's a hard one. Probably Willem Dafoe. Not the fox. Or the fox or the, C- the fox. whoever created the CGI fox. Yeah, good CGI fox. I'm going to give it to Charlotte Gainsbourg. I think she really gets okay. put through the ringer and I think she kind of, I think she really brings it and God bless her. I don't really know how to rate this movie because. Because like, I don't think it's bad and boring as much as like, I don't respond to it. I don't think it's a train wreck because I don't think it goes off the rails. I think it lives off the rails on purpose. I guess future cult classic. Like I, but it like, is a cult classic. Yeah, yeah so cult. I guess it's, that. I guess that. Fine, sure. It's true because it's a cult movie, but it's like the idea of going to like a midnight training at this. That's just what I was thinking too. I, I was, was like, just like, oh my god. I was just like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like no, it's not fun. There's no like audience participation. Like you take a shot every time. What? Like I think that House the Jack built was the closest that he came to like having that, but he still just like doubles down on just so many of his worst tendencies in it and it just overstays its welcome by about 30 minutes that you're just like man this could have been fun yeah yeah if anyone out there listening wants to watch either of these movies that we talked about today antichrist is kind of like unsurprisingly streaming on the criterion collection yeah it is a criterion release too like a physical it feels very criterion and birth like we mentioned earlier is on stars it's on you can watch all of power with 50 cent and then you can watch Birth afterwards. If you'd like to keep pace with us and get ready for next week, we're watching two, at least one of them will definitely be a lot more of a crowd pleaser than this week's. Two stylized period pieces from the 2000s with very modern soundtracks. The Heath Ledger helmed A Knight's Tale. I'm so excited. You love her haircut. That's I just haircut. love her. That's her short haircut. Really. You do like. Uh, I do. Yes. That is, she <laughs> looks good with, she looks good with short hair. Pretty. Yeah. And if you haven't seen A Knight's Tale, uh, which have I have been. not seen in 20 years since it came out, it's the 20th anniversary of that movie, which oh. is crazy to think about. You'll have to rent it wherever you rent movies. We'll also be talking about our, our first Sofia Coppola movie. It's her flop follow-up to Lost in Translation. It was like her blank check movie, Marie Antoinette, which I've never seen. And I'm excited oh. to finally have a reason to watch, uh, which is streaming on HBO Max. We'll be joined by a first-time guest, really great writer, Abid Anwar. 
will be joining us. I'm really us. excited. Please don't forget to like every move we make on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and smash those subscribe buttons on iTunes, Spotify, and Overcast. And please tell all your friends about this podcast. Smash. Smash, smash it. Smash it. Smash Come it. On. And thank you for listening. I know this is a more obscure episode for some people. And if you haven't seen Birth, we would highly, yeah, highly recommend. It's a perfectly it. situated episode too, because last week we did fucking Con Air and next week we're doing Marie Antoinette. Like Yeah, we're really we're pretty we're eclectic. Really, we're really switching yeah. it up right now. But <laughs> we're we're great. <laughs> we're we're a great podcast. <laughs> we're so fucking good this at is what we do. Really good. You should respect us. We're waiters again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're full time waiters and we still have time to run, you know, the best podcast <laughs> in America. But thank you for listening and we'll yeah. see you next week. You're welcome. Watch birth. Yeah, watch birth. Watch birth. Even if you don't like it, you'll be glad you watched it, I think. I think everyone's going to like it. Don't don't write a check you can't cash. I think everyone's going to like it. All right. We'll see you next week.